Stay, if you will, in this passage in Revelation chapter 20 as we walk through what God has for us today. You know, I just can't read this passage without a mixture of emotions. There was a point in my life that I really, really sensed that this verse, these verses, described my eternal outcome in life. It was, it was what I was going to endure and what I deserved to endure as well. I, I realize that some people may find this passage distasting and this message distasting as well, but I want you to remember where we have been on our journey. We've been very much aware that God loves all mankind so much that He will consistently put roadblocks into the lives of those people who don't know them roadblocks to keep them from stumbling into an eternal torment. He loves them too much. And that's what the Scriptures told us. We've seen this over and over again, that it's not God's will for any to perish, but rather what's God's will is for everyone to come to faith and a knowledge in Him. And we have that manifested in John 3.16, which I shared to earlier. That's God's desire. So we began to look, what are some of these spiritual roadblocks that God puts in the lives of lost men and women to keep them from their headlong rush into eternal damnation? And we saw the message of the cross. We saw the preaching of the gospel. We saw the prayers of God's people. We saw the ministry of Holy Spirit. We saw the message of the cross itself, eternally standing, wherever you would see one on the side of the road or on the top of a steeple or wherever it might be, standing there shouting the desire of God that you not spend eternity separated from Him. Today, as we close out this series, we want to look here at this this last episode in the life of those who refuse to know the Lord Jesus Christ. From this point on, is eternity. From this point on is that which they have chosen even when they didn't think that's what they were choosing. I believe this is one of the most dreadful passages you'll find anywhere in the Bible. I don't believe any true child of God could ever read this and really be pleased with everything they're reading, but rather deeply burdened and deeply concerned for friends and family and others who do not know the Lord. The Scripture tells us that when Paul wrote about this, he wrote with weeping in Philippians chapter 3. And that needs to be how we think of the subject as well. But I want you to see that God has a purpose here. He has a purpose for, for throwing back the curtain just for a moment, for illuminating what's going to happen in the future. And the purpose is twofold. First, that we can praise Him for what He has saved us from. But then he can energize us, he can encourage us to be about sharing the gospel for those that we don't want to see to go there. And this is imperative. The scripture says God does not want anyone to perish. But God is a God of justice. And he's got to do what's right. And and what kind of a just God would not come to a point in time when he had to deal definitively for all evil and sin within the world. And so it stands to reason, it is a logical progression, that this is where time must draw to a close. And God must speak His eternal justice. 
We see here that John was given a series, or really one vision, but it came in several different parts as it's unfolded in the Revelation. That first vision was that of the Lord Jesus Christ returning to the earth in power and great glory in that 19th chapter. There he sets up his eternal reign on earth. The devil is bound and uh, he remains bound for a thousand years when Christ reigns on the earth and seeks to say and do that which is right and would call all men to believe in him. Then that vision progresses uh, where uh, the devil is then released for a season and he, he rounds up those who have already refused to receive Christ in any way for one fast line of push against the king and against his kingdom. And that comes to nothing. The devil is then chained he and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. Death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. All that has transgressed against God, every demonic spirit is cast away. Keep in mind that the lake of fire, keep in mind that the second death was always there, not for human beings, but for those who would, receive, who would refuse to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what it was prepared for. And so, here is this scene set before us of this great white throne. And everyone being called, all of the dead from all time, called to stand before God. Now, there is one group of people that is missing here. Those that are missing here are those who have already taken their stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> those who are missing are those who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ and confessed their sin and claimed Him as their sovereign Lord and Master. That's who's missing here. But the, every other person that has ever drawn breath, alive or dead, that spent their whole life saying, I'm going to do life the way I want to. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I feel like is right. And you're not going to tell me I'm doing anything wrong. The Bible's not going to tell me I'm doing anything wrong. I'm going to do as I please. Every man, woman, boy and girl who lived their entire life that way and refused to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, everyone now is called to stand. To stand before the one that they have rejected all their lives long. That's what this passage is about. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning is the judge in verse 11. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. The one who sat on the throne. Who is this specifically? John doesn't tell us here, but he tells us elsewhere. He tells us <clears throat> in John chapter 5 and verse 22, he says, The Father judges no one, but he has committed judgment to his Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Peter told Cornelius that it was Jesus himself in Acts 10, that he co we were commanded to preach to the people and testify that he who has ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Acts 17, Paul speaks to the men of Athens 
and says, God has appointed a day that he will judge the world in righteousness by the man that he has ordained to be the judge. Now, many people want to dismiss Jesus. Uh, they, they, they engage in scholarly efforts to claim that he was a good man that taught good things and sought that would, people would, would be nice to one another. That's not what the Bible says, but people will seek to do that. Uh, others just say, well, it's absolutely asinine to even think that there would be a person who uh, would live many, many years ago and half a world away that now after all this time would come back to be judge over me. Time Magazine almost every year will do some kind of an article about the Lord Jesus Christ and depict him in a different way each and every time that he does that. But each and every person who has not claimed him as Savior and Lord will one day stand before him and see him as he really is. That he is King of kings and Lord of lords. That he is the absolute and ultimate judge. There are three things I see as I, I look at him in this passage. I think see his authority. It says that he sat on a great throne. When you read the book of Revelation, there's a lot said in there about thrones. But there's only one of them that's referred to as the great throne. And only one who sits upon that throne. And this speaks of his authority. The absolute authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to be the judge. You know, you've had people maybe say to you from time to time, or maybe you've said it yourself, who are you to judge me? You won't say that to Jesus Christ. He is the one who has full authority. And listen, his judgment is final. There is no appeal. There is no question. The second thing I see here is about the righteousness of this incredible judge. It says not only that this is a great throne, but this is a great white throne. As you read the book of, of Revelation, you, you see that white has a, a, a recurring theme in here. And it's a theme of purity and holiness. And you see it over and over as the, the saints are dressed in white. The angelic beings are always dressed in white. And here this white throne which bespeaks the purity of the one who sits upon it and his absolute righteousness. And the third thing I see here is the dreadfulness of this judge. You know, we think of the face of Jesus Christ as being something we long to see, uh, that, that we can look into his eyes, the one who died for us, and, and sense his, his love and compassion and his grace and his mercy, and that's indeed true. For those of us who have claimed him as Savior and Lord, but think about those who have spent their entire life denying him. Think about those who have spent their entire life saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't believe in you, even though he does exist. Think about that face. The scripture here says that there's nothing in creation that can stand before his face. That earth and heaven itself try to find a place to hide from the face of this incredible judge. And it's a dreadful, dreadful moment. Have you ever had to stand before some authority? And have your life or your decisions questioned? I have. And it's not comfortable. It's very, very disconcerting. To stand and have to give an account of yourself. To give an account of your decisions. To give an account of your actions and, and maybe even your attitudes. 
That's, that's very, very, very uncomfortable. But if it's uncomfortable to stand before a human authority and give an account of yourself, what must it be like to stand before the eternal judge of all creation who you cannot bluff, you cannot fool, you cannot lie to, and give an account. That's the picture we have here of this incredible judge. But now, let's look at those who are judged. Let's look at those who have to stand before this throne. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Every person who has ever drawn breath stands before the Lord. Now, let me, let me share again that believers in Christ, for them this is different. Because you see, you stood before the cross. You stood before the empty tomb. You have confessed your sins. And Jesus has received all of your sins upon himself. And he's given you the absolute righteousness that is his very own. You, he, you have given him your death sentence. And he's given you his eternal life. Phone right here, please, guys. I'll just turn. These are the ones that will be judged. They will all stand on equal footing. There'll be no kings up here and paupers down here. They'll all stand together on an even footing before the throne of Almighty God. And not only the living, but their habitation will also be there. 
The scripture says that death and Hades will be cast into the pit as well. Now death is a state that if it's a state of being, Hades is a place. So both the place and the state of being will both be cast into the lake of fire as well. The devil is there. All the demons are there. Death and Hades are there. And it's yawning open in all of its heat and fire and terror before the king and before those who are judged. Let's look at that judgment because that's what comes next. And books were opened. Now, the almighty, all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient God doesn't need books. But let's look what's in these books. And books were opened, and another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged, look at this, according to their works, by things that were written in the books. Every person that's ever lived, every attitude, every action, every noble deed, and every ignoble thought is recorded in the books under your name. Nothing is left out. Nothing is mistaken. The one who knows the attitudes as well as the actions, each and every one recorded. Not so God would remember them, but so on that day, that book would be over, right in the face of the one who was here it is. Here's the evidence. It is your cue. This is you. This is your life. Now, I say everybody. And I let me say something. Let me tell all of you who are worried right here, right now, because some of you, I see you wiping your head right here, okay? You've already been taken care of. You've already been taken care of. You see, your name, listen to me, your name has been stricken from this book. And another book has been opened. And it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And your name has been written there in the indelible blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can't be erased. It won't fade. You are reserved for your place there in heaven. Praise God. So you don't have to worry about this. But listen, for all the rest of creation, they've got to stand before the open books. And, and it's not because God doesn't know what's in them. It's so they will have to look and see and they'll have to say, your right to judge me with total damnation. You are just to act justly against me. That's what the books are all about. And the judgment is for works. Now listen, let me say something to you. All of those who are believers, if we had to stand before God on the basis of our works, we would likewise be damned. 
But we stand before God based on His work, the work on the cross and the empty tomb. And we plead the blood of Jesus Christ, not our own works. How many of you here want to be judged by your works? No, not me. Mm -mm. Put that hand back down. Put it behind me. I have already been judged by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ because he said, let me have all of your sin, Fred, and I'm going to give you my righteousness. That's what the Scriptures say. But this judgment is eternal. There's, there, there's no way to try to defend ourselves. There's no higher a court of appeal. And I want you to notice here how this happens. They were judged. Look at this. Each one according to his works. It's individual. You know, lost humanity won't stand there in mass and God say, all you bad folks leave me. No, 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 no. One by one by one by one by one. We give individual account of ourselves unto God. Now look at the sentence. Then death and Hades were cast into the fire. <clears throat> this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I want you to understand something. It's not a matter of lost people, that their, that their works speak against them. That's not really the issue. The, the, the book of their works is there and put before them just so they can see the irrefutable nature of God's judgment. What causes them not to spend eternity in heaven is their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And you don't get it written there by joining the church. You don't get it written there by joining the Sunday school class. You don't get it written there by being baptized. You don't get it written there because you're a Southern Baptist. It's written there when you are born again. It's your birth certificate. It's your spiritual birth certificate that you have come to believe Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior. And for that, you are eternally, eternally saved. Let me tell you a little story about a man named Arnold Lewis. Arnold was a supervisor in a shipyard, and he was over the building of multiple ships at the same time in the shipyard. This one may be just beginning. This one may be almost a completion. And so on any given day, he would be from one right to the other all the way down. Well, one day, an inspector came and had to consult with Arnold about a matter. But he didn't have a radio with him, so he didn't know where to find Arnold. So he started in the very far ship, and he started going from ship to ship to ship to ship to find him. And he spent hours doing this. Late in the day, he finally found Arnold. And he was upset. He was fussing. He was, he was complaining and everything else. And he said to Arnold, I've been looking all over hell for you. And Arnold said, well, that's one place you'll never find me. And the man said, what do you mean? He said, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And of all the places you may ever find me in time or eternity, hell's one place you'll never find me. Well, the inspector went on about his business, and right before the whistle blew for quitting time, he came back and found Arnold again. He said, 
how can you be so sure? And Arnold took a, a New Testament out of his pocket and said, it says right here, for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm one of those all. And because I've called on the name of the Lord Jesus and he is the Lord of my life, the one place you'll never find me is in hell. Can you say that along with Arnold? Can you be as absolutely certain as he? I want you to be. I want you to be as sure as he. I want you to know that you know that you know. That you'll not stand before God based on your works. But you'll stand before him based on the works of Jesus Christ for you. How do you know that? How can, how can you be sure about that? You do that with a very important decision. And it's a decision to say, I'm going to quit doing life my own way. I choose to do in life God's way. I'm not going to depend on my own intellect, my own charisma, my own personality, my own ability. I'm going to depend on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for my sins to assure me of eternal life. Have you come to that place in your life yet? I'd like to encourage you to be there today and to make the day the day that this greatest of all roadblocks, the absolute assurance of an eternal judgment, be the thing that finally kicks you into gear to reach out to the Lord and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, save my soul. You bow your heads with me, please, all over the congregation. And will you pray along with me right now and just say, Dear God, I confess to you that I am a lost sinner. I've been doing life my own way, but right now I ask you to come into my heart to cleanse me and forgive me. I want you to be the boss in my life. I dare to believe that when you died on the cross, it was to take my sins upon yourself. And when you rose again, it was so that I might have your eternal life. I believe this with all my heart. I surrender my life to you. I want you as the boss in my life. Father, I know on your authority that you have never refused anyone who would pray that prayer to you. And even now, right here in this sanctuary and watching online, there are those who have made this final decision. This has been the roadblock that finally they've paid attention to and all the others as well. And right now they want to be saved. They want you as their father. They want heaven as their eternal home. Thank you, Lord, for saving their souls. We, we, we want to rejoice. The Bible tells us there's rejoicing in heaven, Lord, among the angels. For anyone who repents, we'd like to rejoice too. So if there's anyone here today... Father, that have given their heart to you, 
Will you encourage them in the next few moments to come forward and sit here on this front row and we can talk to them and let us, let us rejoice with them about their new life in Christ. Maybe those at home, they can give us a call or send us an email or a text and let us know the decision they've made. Father, we know it happens spiritually, but it has to be lived out in this world. And so we need to make these decisions public. Give us that courage. Maybe there are others who want to unite with our fellowship. Or maybe others who just want to come to the altar and pray. Father, this is your time. And in these next few moments, as Tony and uh, as Eric come to receive those who are making decisions, Lord, will you move mightily in our midst? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand?